I'm Josh Cooperman. This is Convo by Design, and today we're going back to Dallas, metaphorically, of course, to speak with Roz Murphy of Roz Murphy Designs about planning, fabrication, and process, and not necessarily in that order. Roz was born and raised on the East Coast moved to Dallas to earn her bachelor's degree in English with a minor in art history from Southern Methodist University. She later attended El Centro College where she earned her degree in interior design. Interned with the internationally renowned Wilson and Associates as well as with Emily Summers Design, later honing her high-end residential design skills working for Lisa Barfield of Lisa Barfield Interiors. She gained experience in the window treatment industry under Barfield's Claire and Company. So there's a lot going on here, right? She has a passion for luxury designs that are as comfortable as they are timeless. And and that is something that keeps coming up in conversation about design these days, luxurious and timelessness. Roz is as versatile as she is creative. And those are some of the ideas I wanted to drill down on with her. Uh, whom you will hear from in just a moment. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership series presented by Thermosol. It has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division in 1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, Please check out thermosol.com. I love Dallas. Lived in Dallas for nine years. Family in Houston. Travel through the great state of Texas as often as I can. One of the things that I love about Dallas, having been raised in LA, is that Dallas and LA are very similar. In you can go and try something. Um, there's a very forgiving attitude when it comes to design. You can try something. I mean, just look at Dallas architecture and design from the 1970s. It continues to get demolished and go away in many cases. What's the state of, what is, the question I have for you first is, in your opinion, what is the post-pandemic state of design in North Texas? 
Um, I think that people are just very engaged in design. So for those people that maybe weren't paying attention before, obviously we all know that people have been in their homes. There's been um, quite an influx of people from out of town, a lot of people from California moving in, uh, a lot of corporations uh, that have employees that are moving here. So they're bringing their, a different aesthetic with them, which is exciting. Um, and it's not necessarily feeling so Southern, if that makes sense. Uh, so I feel like there's a little bit more diversity. Yeah, um, I, I think that's interesting. I also think it's interesting too because design choices, and it's funny because we're gonna we're gonna run the gamut today uh, of of all the current issues facing designers and design today. Um, because Texas is a port state, um, has it made things a little bit easier? I think it's definitely made things easier because people are really paying attention to their surroundings. So they're a lot more open to being pushed to new ideas. I think that people um, want to make a statement. Um, in Dallas, there's, you know, on the weekends, you just eat and shop or, uh, you know, as far as people's homes are just such an expression of them, the neighborhoods are uh, quite what I, what I love about Dallas is all of the different neighborhoods have such a great feeling of neighborhood. We don't have a lot of zoning restrictions or, or we do have a lot of zoning restrictions. So you have sort of these Mayberry type of neighborhoods. And then within them, I feel like people have so much pride in their homes. They're raising families here. Um, it's an expression of themselves. So they really are willing to invest. And it's nice uh, that people are, you know, aware of the cost of things in order to achieve that. And so I think that it's a great time to be in the design business because uh, people are just wanting to sort of create their forever homes. That being said, I think it's really interesting too. The, the cost of design is getting completely out of control, not dissimilar to many other industries, right? But at the same time, um, how are your clients dealing with that? How are you dealing that, with that with your clients? Well, I think what's difficult is you know, I may be working with, on a project, whether it's for several years or I'll do say a family's first floor. And then two years later, they'll call me to do the upstairs or add to it. And with the cost for the same vendor, same type of items have having gone up about 30 to 40 percent, it's it's quite a jump. And not to mention just the lead times where I used to tell people, I'm so sorry, you're going to have to wait eight to 10 weeks for your sofa. And now I'm telling them, you know, if you don't order by now, you won't have it for Christmas or Easter or what have you. Um, so I think it's just managing the expectations of people that have already purchased things. Uh, what has helped, I think, are the other issues uh, in the world, the cost of cars, the fact that you can't get a refrigerator because there's a microchip missing. I think that people are aware that there's a trickle down effect and um, how it affects our industry as well. And I think people are also aware of how many things that we are getting from overseas where they maybe didn't think about it before. They, they certainly like the price, but they don't want to wait over a year for you know, a kitchen chair that may come from Indonesia or Thailand. Uh, so it's just, I, I think that those have been the struggles and just the constant tariffs or I get some random fees like, well, we're just going to charge a 4% fee. I would rather them just give me the new price. Just tell me what the new price is. Don't, don't just tell me about the 4%. Just put it in there and that's what it is. 
So that must have changed the manner in which you work with regard to specifying and sourcing. Has it, has it turned focus for you to be a little bit closer to home? Uh, in what way? Well, I mean, look, first of all, you've got some magnificent makers in and around Texas. Second of all, you've got some incredible workrooms in the state of Texas, Houston, Austin, Dallas, you know, even look, uh, an HGTV show and Magnolia Home in Waco right. creates, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a burst of a new environment, right? So you have new makers, you have new workrooms, you have new sources, you have new products, all trying to feed this industry because look, prior to Magnolia Home, design was not of great importance in Waco. Correct. It just wasn't, you know, Baylor was the number one, you know, business there. And that's really the, the, the community runs around Baylor and other businesses, but that's not the case anymore. So the industry is, is booming. You know, you have, you have new potential partners. I'm curious if that has, look, there's no, there's no replacement for Italian furniture or Italian design or French furnishings or antiques uh, at the same time, as a designer, you're essential to the experience of your clients. That being said, if you can't get something for what used to be eight to 10 weeks, which is now eight to 10 months, has that changed the way you think about things? Do you look closer to home? How has that affected the manner in which you source and specify? It definitely affects the way that I source and specify because it takes me more time because of course I would never want to present something that I know has you know, either a super long lead time or I can't confirm when it's actually going to be available. Uh, so I think that necessity is the mother of invention in this case. I've been uh, able to use local workrooms to create a lot of upholstered custom pieces. And this has actually been better for me in terms of just creativity, being able to take a silhouette and tweak it so I'm not copying something exactly um, and being able to put my own spin on it while also, uh, you know, supporting my local economy. So I feel that um, also in the case of antiques, which I'm glad that you mentioned, I think that those have made such a difference in my project, being able to find not only one of a kind items, but there they are right in front of you and they're available. And I think that they sort of elevate the design where, you know, so you can have more of a mix. Well, or you can just head up to Roundtop. Do you, do you go? Is Roundtop... Okay, here's why I do not go to Round Top because it would be like a crack addict going to a crack house. I think that I would go crazy. I can't go to like a vintage store in Palm Beach without wanting to buy a bunch of things. There are a couple of places that I really love in Palm Beach that sell more of that um, Palm Beach Regency style. The issue that I have is with my business, I do not like to carry an inventory. I don't want to buy things um, hoping that someday I'll be able to sell them to somebody else and absorb the cost and store it. So I would have to, if I found something at Round Top, send it to a client, they would have to say, okay, 100%, I'll take that. And a lot of my clients still want to see things in person, especially if it is an antique. So um, it doesn't work as much for me uh, because I don't want to have an inventory. Let's, let's sort of drill down on that a little bit because that's a business decision. Yes. But it's, but it's also something that 
in the last three years, many, many designers have actually taken that on and viewed that as a profit center and something that, you know, if you can get a sofa out of, out of a storage unit, instead of having to customize or ship, there's, where's, where's the payoff? Where's the balance? Well, I think specifically with round top, I don't know if that applies just because with upholstery, you, you know, with round top, it'd be more like rugs and antiques and lighting fixtures. You know, most people would want brand new upholstery. So I feel like it doesn't equate to that. Um, I, I think as far as having an inventory, again, uh, there's also the perception of, I don't want my clients to ever feel that I'm presenting them something just because I have it in my inventory and I'm sort of stuck with it and I'm trying to offload it. I, um, I really just like to keep things really, you know, like clean. I, I mean, maybe I've been stuck with a lamp or two left over. Somebody didn't like it, but I'm just not willing to absorb the cost um, out of risk. And that, that really is a business decision. It's just one less thing that I don't want to have to think about. That makes sense. From other business decisions, what's changed for you in the manner in which you do your business? Have your contracts changed? Have your time of communication changed? Like if, if we do communicate, you're going to text me at night, you're going to text me on the weekends, I totally get it. I'm not going to respond to you. But if I do, here's a surcharge. Here is a, you know, over hours. Has that changed at all for you? Um, I'm so glad you asked that question, Josh, because yes, I would say a couple of things. One is that I have just recently completely um, redone my contract. And the reason for that is because I'm in the process of hiring a team. I have been more of a lone wolf. I've created some really bad habits of doing everything myself that I don't have to do. Um, and so I'm trying to get in a position because I have a lot of new projects that are coming up, a lot of new construction remodel, and then it will go all the way through to the furnishings. I'm looking to find, you know, my avatar who is going to do all the things that I don't enjoy doing and they do it well while I am off working with my clients, working on the design, collaborating, et cetera, and not doing just everything. Uh, so to your point, I've recently gone from hourly to flat fee for projects. And I think that this is going to work so much better in my business because Sometimes as designers, it's so difficult to say, well, I just ran by their house to tell them how high to hang the light fixture. Well, I just did this. And you end up not charging people for your time. And it's just like a slow drip. And um, our clients would, would pay that price. There's just something about us where we feel silly turning that over. Where now I can go through and I can say, given these number of site visits and meetings, et cetera, I will charge you X to do your entire house. And I think then that qualifies the client to know, you know, this is how much it's going to cost. This is what's involved. Um, and then it can also help me absorb the cost of having a team member so that things run smoothly. As far as boundaries are concerned, I have for a really long time had it in my contract that I don't want to communicate through text. I find it to be a very inefficient, unprofessional way to communicate for very big, expensive decisions. The only time that I like to text is if there's a scheduling issue. Hey, I'm running five minutes late oops, can my upholsterer come over now at two o'clock? Um, but I prefer everything to be done by email or actually by phone call. I feel that so much of the communication can be clearly, uh, you know, put together with a phone call. You can go back and forth and discuss and explain, and then things aren't taken out of context. Um, but I think that 
clients get so excited about their project, they may want to have a bottle of wine and text you on a Friday night, you know, 15 different silhouettes, but they don't mean to be rude. They don't think that they're being rude. But when I get a text, I feel that I need to respond. Um, and I am 100% guilty of breaking this rule. And so I feel like be careful not to break your own rules. And I'm, I'm also working on that as well. Yeah, it's hard to do. It is hard to do. It's hard to do. A mm-hmm. um, couple other things I wanted to ask you specifically about, you know, I started a spinoff of Comfort by Design called Lone Star House of Design, which focuses exclusively on designers and and creatives coming out of Texas. It's under the Convo by Design feed, and I've kind of rolled it back into uh, Convo by Design because when I started it, I I saw that this is years, and this is probably four or five years ago, I saw this as an opportunity to sort of expand into other areas, what I was calling the design flyovers, right, of which I would consider Dallas to be. Yes. And What's surprising to me is that's that's no longer really, it doesn't really feel like the, the case to me. It's it's Austin and Houston and Dallas and Memphis and Nashville and, and St. Louis and, you know, all of these cities now, Denver, even Aspen, Seattle, Las Vegas. It's, it's almost like design is becoming more American than state specific. I think there's a lot of states that don't really have a design style, you know, being in Oklahoma, it's been really interesting, you know, French provincial and, uh, you know, all of these, there's a lot of mid-century, there's a lot of modern starting to pop up, which I think is really interesting, in addition to this history of Art Deco, which which is prevalent throughout the entire city. But when you get into some other areas, you know, Austin is one that I, I really like Austin a great deal because they seem to have one foot firmly planted in the past with an eye on the future. So, you know, they will make an effort not to tear down significantly interesting or, or structurally significant buildings, which I think is great. Dallas is different to me. Dallas is very LA-like in that you love something until you don't love it anymore and then it's gone, you know, and, and up comes the new and the shiny. But at the same time, there is a feel. The Metroplex is kind of not in the shadow of Houston anymore. It's not old school like Fort Worth, but it's kind of, I would say in the last 20 years, really developed an identity into, unto itself. Do you think, like if, if, if I... If we were talking about Southern California, I can talk to you about design styles and a California style. Has Texas in general and Dallas in particular developed a style? I feel like it has. I feel like there's still a tale of two styles here. We, we definitely have clients and there's a large population that really likes the traditional and the substantial traditional homes. My preference for the traditional is I feel like you you can, you can do anything with it. It will have great bones and you can make the inside contemporary, et cetera. But we're also kind of going towards more of the modern steel windows and doors. Um, Some people have called it the white box. You know what I'm talking about. Um, And I think that that is great too. I am always just very architecturally. I'm always 
I love innovation. I, I love new ideas, but I don't like it when people go so far down a rabbit hole of a trend that they can't undo. Um, I, we all remember the early 2000s with the Tuscan homes. Oh, I wanted a Tuscan home so badly um, back in the day. Now, when I have clients that have spent millions of dollars on a Tuscan house that they are going to completely gut and redo, it is very difficult to untuscan a home. And so I think for me, it's just more of a cautionary tale about going all in on something versus doing, you know, you have to do something that's authentic to you and your style. But I think it's really important from an architectural standpoint to give consideration just to the longevity. You are listening to my conversation with Roz Murphy of Roz Murphy Designs, and we will be right back in just a minute. If you've been listening to Convo by Design for a while now, you have heard me tell you about Article. Great style. Really, it's as simple as that with Article. Things have been challenging for design professionals and their clients for, what, two years, two plus years now? You know this already. What you might not know is that it doesn't have to be if you're looking for exceptionally beautiful modern furniture. Article provides a simple and easy way to creating a beautiful modern space because Article works direct with their manufacturers on production of unique and stunning pieces. Then they work directly by providing this well-crafted design directly to you. This direct relationship means you aren't wondering where your furniture is and you're getting it for an incredible value. What could possibly be better than that? In many cases, the shipping is flat rate, which means no surprises right? Even more, their culture and service are rooted in their core values. Customer obsession, doing it differently, ownership mindset, winning together. If you're a designer, architect, or residential developer, you must check out their trade program. Discounts, special support, and exclusive perks. Article has the beautiful modern furniture you're looking for at an incredible price, at an incredible value, and you need to check them out. Check out article.com, or if you go to the show notes, there is a specific link which will take you, if you're in the trade, directly to their trade program. You have to see it to really believe it. Thank you, Article. Do you feel like you have, are, are, there, are there Texas resources? Like when you, when you look at working with Texas companies, do you, do you go out of your way to, to work with Texas companies? And, and are there Texas design companies? I know, I know Thermosol is in Round Rock and I love them. Uh, they sponsor the show. Yes. Um, Kyle Bunting is a friend and I love him. He's down in Austin. Um, you know, Fabricut is up here in Tulsa, not Dallas, but what other, are there other major brands that you work with that are in Texas? Do you make an effort to, and what are the, what is the, the state of resources like for you? Um, I would definitely say yes to Texas in terms of we have global views is based in Texas or in Dallas specifically. Uh, our interiors is as well. Um, we actually have an American leather factory here, which is really nice as far as, you know, if you're going to have something made, it's, it's going to um, not take six weeks to deliver. Uh, there are quite a few great resources here. Um, there are also a lot of great fabric vendors, a lot of more boutique, one-off custom fabric designers. Um, there's one specifically that I love. Um, her name's Ann Jackson. So I do like the idea of sort of supporting your own city, if that makes sense. But alternatively, there are a lot of, um, I go to High Point, uh, 
usually once a year, sometimes twice. And there are a lot of great places that show that are all made in North Carolina. Um, a lot of great brands. I buy a lot from Kravit and uh, all of their furniture is made in North Carolina. So I don't, I don't have to go all in on Texas. At the end of the day, it's what it's going to be the best product for the project that I'm working on. What about the design community? Um, I'm, I'm just back from La Cienega Design Quarters Legends event in Los Angeles. And it was, seriously, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. For me, it was just so great to reconnect with people that I haven't seen in a long time. What is the design community like in Dallas? Well, you know, I'd say it's small to a degree, uh, and yet we're all sort of spread out working in different areas. I think that there's a lot of overlap in certain neighborhoods with different designers, but we do have Texas Design Week, which is every fall. Um, it's sponsored by one of our publications, Paper City, and they get some of the greatest speakers will get like Corey Damian Jenkins and Alexa Hampton, and um, they'll have some wonderful sponsored events. I really uh, enjoy those events. I really like networking with other designers and I like collaborating with other designers because I feel like we're sort of all in this together, even though you can feel like you're on an island. Um, there are some people that maybe have more of a, they don't mean to have a competitive spirit, but there are some people that don't want to share resources. And I understand that, you know, it takes, it takes a long time to cultivate your resources, but at the same time, you know, I'm happy to tell you something and you tell me something and we can just make both of our lives better. Um, but you know, I, I think it's cohesive, but I find more energy when I go to High Point and I meet with designers from other areas. I learn so much more about what their business is like in their city, how they charge, what their clients are like, what their teams are like. And I just came home from this last um, High Point at really just invigorated after meeting with some of my friends there to, to make changes in my business. Because I think some of the ways that I was doing things was to my detriment, quite frankly. And um, uh, there's a, a great designer that I know from, um, that I met from High Point. Um, his name is Kurt Miller. He's out of Chicago and he's so exuberant. And he said, you know, Roz, the design community, or there's enough design out there. The pie is big enough for everybody to have a slice. And I, I just firmly believe that. Yeah, totally agree. It's absolutely true. Question is though, how do you go about getting new business? And before you say word of mouth, because that's what everybody says, Word of mouth actually starts somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I, I've always found, you know, once we get past the word of mouth conversation, then it gets really interesting because then, you know, I start to learn a little bit more about the media landscape of particular cities and who are the major players as far as media and magazines. The, the shelter pubs have always been so big and, and you know, D is great and Lux is, is great and Aspire and, and you have all of these great magazines there. How do, you, how do you get clients? How do you get exposure? Sometimes, and sometimes it's the magazine, sometimes it's, it's exposure, but sometimes it's a matter of, you know, that word of mouth is deeper in engagement and it takes the form of, you know, really networking within the design community. How do you get new business? Well, 
I won't say word of mouth off the top just because you're tired of that. So I'll say that secondly. Um, I, I would say one of the major funnels of my business are the builders and contractors that I've worked with in the past. Um, I have really good relationships. We run projects well together. I just, I really like to work collaboratively as a team. Um, we kind of cover for each other. So uh, I get so many referrals from those builders and contractors. I would say that that's, that's, my number two, my number one still is the referrals from my clients. Um, you know, just, I live in such a, a, an engaged community neighborhood where everybody knows each other, you know, say you did Susie Q's house. Well, you know, 10 people from her preschool association are going to come over and some, somebody's going to say, I love your dining room. Who did it? And that's, that's how. Um, I will say that I have had a few clients from Instagram, and that is great. Uh, I do feel like sometimes you really have to qualify those that come in from Instagram. I feel, you know, in terms of, of budgets and things, you just have to be clear off the bat about what it's going to cost. Um, I feel that's what's nicer about sort of a warm call or a referral is it's usually from a client and they're trying to do something in the same zone. What's interesting too, and you had mentioned all of the Californians coming to, to Dallas, and it's funny because I was one of those Californians who came to Dallas, but that was mid nineties. Mm -hmm. So Dallas was a very different place at the time. But what's interesting is, and this is one thing that I'm absolutely fascinated about, and I'm curious what your conversations sound like with people from outside the city, from LA or New York, because what, what people don't realize when you move to Texas and you're talking about design is, you know, LA, New York, Manhattan's an island, New York, uh, LA is a desert. So when you move to Texas, you have summer, you have winter that are very, very different. If you're used to indoor outdoor living in Southern California, it's not the same in Dallas. When you design, first of all, every house on the block is made of brick. And sometimes getting away from brick in Texas is a really hard thing to do because it's one of those materials that is just so prevalent and it's local. So you get, you know, Austin limestone or brick from the locally made, you know, in the state of Texas. So it's easy to, to get. What's interesting, though, is because Dallas resides on active soil, when it comes to design, so much more goes into that. I think a, a lot of Californians have learned the lesson, like you can't come in and build a California style house in Texas because it doesn't it doesn't function the same way. I'm curious, what do the conversations sound like between well, you and those uh, those out of towners? So I, um, I, I'm recently going through um, a new, I have a new client. Uh, they are actually purchasing my client's home. My clients built this beautiful home and uh, these other people from California just came in and said, we want to buy your house. So they decided to sell it. My clients are going to start over and do something else. They are really creative and they love the design process. So they're excited to start over. And these clients from California said, can you just do everything the same that you did for them? Just, we want it to look exactly the same. And what was interesting is, um, you know, I'd never met them, had a wonderful phone call. They're lovely people. And they're actually moving here at the end of June. And they said, um, 
we were talking about patio furniture and they said, you know, what would look good, et cetera. I said, well, one thing I'm going to have to tell you about that you're not familiar with is pollen. Uh, you are going to have, you know, we need to be very careful about what's exposed because it's going to get really dirty in the month of April. And it's just things that probably they would never think about. Um, I know that they may be turning their garage into a home gym, which is great. But, you know, what about a hailstorm? You just never know about these things that you don't necessarily have out in California. Um, but on the flip side, what I'm really encouraged by is they have a beautiful home in California that another designer did and they've sent me pictures and it's a completely different aesthetic. It's, it's very, you know, sort of Santa Barbara and all of the creams and the neutrals and the light woods and all of that, which is gorgeous, but the house that they're buying, you know, there's just more rich, vivid color. And it's so funny how they're just going from that one aesthetic to another. So it's exciting. It's, it's going to be an, another great project, but um, I think it's, it, I think it's definitely different to your point. And then mosquitoes, they're not going to be used to the mosquitoes. Well, look, let's be honest. The, the list, the short list of things that, that they're not going to be used to. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's down to the soil. I, we learned the lesson, you know, in the, in the mid nineties, moved into a house um, in Dallas that, you know, they had put a tree in the seventies, a little too close to the foundation. And in the, you know, in the summer when a tree is drinking two, 200 gallons or more of water a day, um, you know, because it gets big enough towards the end of its, its life. And then you got to make a decision. Well, that tree actually provides a ton of shade and that shade keeps this side of the, you know, the Southern side of the house cool. It was a good idea. It was just a, a bad plan, but you have to take into, into account into those, you know, those things into account. Had talked to an architect from Southern California who had clients that moved to Houston and uh, he, you know, outdoor kitchens was kind of one of his things and they wanted to be able to use it year round. So he air conditioned it, mm -hmm. air yes. conditioned an outdoor kit. Yes. Okay. Yes, right. I know. Actually, this project they do, they had a full AC unit for their outdoor area and they have the drop down screens and, you know, you just do what you can. You do what you can. But that being said, I'm curious, we had mentioned thermosol, so I gather you're familiar with steam showers. Do you, yes, do you yes. use, do you try to incorporate steam? I would say probably 30% of all my new construction projects, they want to have a steam shower. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's 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 a future must have. There's some other must haves that are starting to, to come around. I feel like this is an absolute renaissance for design. What's changed in your design? What are you adding now to projects, be it new build or remodels that maybe you haven't thought of or added in the last five to 10 years? I think it's just really those finishing touches and those layers. Um, I had gone to the kitchen and bath show in Orlando this year with one of my um, good friends and she's, she does um, high-end uh, residential construction in our area. And it was just so interesting to learn from her about more of the skeleton of the house and the things that she was interested in. Um, I think that really coming up with innovative lighting plans and working with a lighting designer for future construction projects is key. I think a lot of times if you don't incorporate that into your plan and it's not the builder's fault, but depending, you can just have random holes in the ceiling, which we all want to avoid. Um, I think that, you know, having cabinets where you open them up and you have the beautiful light in there as well. Um, I think 
just the actual quality of the construction in terms of the cabinets, the finishes, I think all of the, the different vendors that are available out there, whether they're domestic or from overseas. Uh, I, I really try to put a lot of careful consideration into hardware. I think that whether it's the cabinet poles or the doorknobs, those are the things that really create some of the finishing touches and you can tell the quality of a home based on some of those, those layers. If you had to break out the crystal ball and think about what's what's coming now, you know, and, and I'll give you an example. Um, you know, the idea of the second kitchen has been around for quite some time, you know, starting with kosher kitchens where you have two kitchens in the same space. Then you have, you know, a, an Asian kitchen with a, a dirty kitchen, which is, you know, for, for grease and heavy odors. And then you have one, which is just luxurious, but nobody actually cooks in it. This is mm -hmm. kind of like one for show and then one to work. You have this Eastern European idea, which is a, which is a spinoff of, of the, you know, the Asian kitchen. It's just, it's amazing how there are all these different ideas in the kitchen and then how people are saying, okay, well, you know what? I love the idea of a warming drawer because it's so wonderful in the kitchen and then moving it into the bathroom to take the towel bar, the warming towel bar off the wall and actually put the towels in a warming drawer in the bathroom. Brilliant. I mean, it's just, we're starting to see some incredible ideas in design. And I'm curious if you had to put that crystal ball in front of you and, and look at some things that you're starting to ideate, what would that include? Well, I think to your point, just even speaking to the warming drawer, I feel like um, function is really driving so much of the design these days. I think that people, you know, are really putting so much careful thought into their appliances, and that really does affect the overall layout of kitchens and how everything works. Um, I am actually probably in the minority. I do not like an open concept kitchen floor plan. Um, ideally, I love more of a traditional closed off kitchen with a nice breakfast area and maybe like smaller keeping room or something off of it um, for several reasons. Sometimes it's just like the smell going into the family room. Sometimes it's just all the mess. It's sort of like you can close the door. Um, I have a separate kitchen in my house and I always, I always grew up with, you know, separate kitchen back in the day, we didn't have open concept, but um, I love the fact that I could get in there, make a crazy mess. My guests can come over and then they're not, I don't like them in there. Just I'll, I'll come out. Um, and all the clanging and banging. I don't know. I, I feel like we're going to go back to more of a closed concept kitchen with family areas in. Yeah. It, well, it's, it's funny too, because as you, as you're talking and I get a dog bark from the other room, that's one of the things that's been really interesting to me is this idea, um, and hearing designers talk about the separation of spaces. It's really fascinating, isn't it? That for such a long period of time, we talked about opening of spaces and making everything this open floor plan and this open concept. And you can see, you know, the family from anywhere in the kitchen. I, I guess that's how you disprove ideas. 
And I, I think it just depends on, I think it depends on how you live. And after dinner is, you know, I'm doing dishes. If my kids are in the other room doing homework, they don't want to hear all the loud clanging and banging. I may want to be able to watch one of my shows while I'm, you know, being Cinderella, putting things in the dishwasher. And uh, it's just nice to sort of have a separate space. I also like from just a design perspective that you can put such careful thought into that room and that room doesn't have to match and go perfectly with your sofas and your lounge space. It can just be kind of more of a, a cozy area with, with character. And I'm, I'm currently about to start my own kitchen remodel. Our kitchen was at one point sort of semi-open to the family room and now it's completely closed off in its own area. And I'm, I'm keeping up with that with this renovation. I'm coming full circle now to where we first started. And you, you know, I don't think you said that you weren't technically savvy, but I think you said you were technically challenged, which I think pretty much puts all of us in the same category. But that being said, cars are smart. Appliances are smart. We work from home. You know, hopefully there won't be another study from home scenario, but let's be honest. Once it happens, it can always happen again. So I, I think that that is a that is a more likely than not that at some point that will happen again for short periods or for not. But I think that work work home work life has changed dramatically and it's not going back. That being said, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. I want to, I just want to touch back to the, when you were talking about not being technically savvy, one thing I wanted to just mention is I, I am impressed with some of the technology that's out there with the appliances. For example, at the kitchen and bath show, you know, GE Monogram did an amazing job with all of their appliances. Um, I ended up purchasing that for, for my house. I'm not one of those people that feels like it has to be Wolf Sub-Zero or it's nothing. Um, I, I sometimes a flame is a flame, but I think the way that things are finished out and a lot of the technology with whether it's the speakers in your kitchen hood or, you know, being able to have um, fewer appliances because one may serve three purposes. I think that that's actually the, I think the efficiency and the design has really been dialed up. And I'm, I'm happy for that, for people to have more choices because not everybody wants to have a kitchen that looks like it's, you know, restaurant grade. Some people want something that's softer. Um, you know, I've done some of the uh, La Conches. I've done, um, you know, people that want the beautiful blue range, something that feels a little older. And I really like how you can still have all of that technology, but not have it look brand new. So I think that as far as kitchens are concerned, I think that the appliances are sort of becoming the showstoppers for the kitchens, but just not, not in such an industrial way. With all of those appliances that are smart, it puts a greater drain on your internet and your Wi-Fi and the technical ability of your router to physically keep up and provide enough bandwidth for the home. I mean, look, you've got your car, which is smart. You've got your appliances, which are smart. You've got your security system, which in many cases is smart. Um, with so many things drawing bandwidth, I feel like one of the next big things in design is having the designers figure out how to compensate for this, because I will tell you, it's not gonna be the cable companies, um, the internet providers. And, and it's, it, this is not just a, I'm not just complaining. I mean, I deal with this every day. 
and I talk to designers who deal with it personally every single day, I feel like this is one of those aspects. It's kind of like lighting was, where you, you as a designer, you know, you're talking about adding different forms of lighting. You can walk into a room. The truly great designers are the ones who don't just focus on one, two, three sources of lighting, but have five, eight sources of lighting. You don't have to use them all at once, but they're designed for different purposes. And when combined, it makes an amazing, it, it's a light show. It's a, it's a, it's a show. It's, it's theater, right? right? And it's supposed to be. I feel like many designers would stop at the patio door where they would say, you know what? I don't want to, I don't go outside. It's like, but the indoor outdoor living concept only works if you can bring the outdoors in, which means you have to be cognizant and able to work with that idea. I kind of feel like this is the next frontier. And I'm, and I'm curious, it's not a challenge. I'm just curious how you think about that. And if that's something that you've gotten into yet, and if not, when, when is the tipping point? Well, I think that it's actually coming pretty, pretty soon for me, mainly because when I have a project that's going to be um, a new construction home and you have the opportunity to tell your clients, listen, I can come up with some great lighting ideas, but I think the best thing to do is for us to hire an expert lighting designer that we'll collaborate with. I'm really, um, I'm really one to bring in a uh, subcontractors that know more than I do and collaborate. Uh, so I feel like doing that on the front end and giving them the choice, because when you go to an amazing house, you can't sometimes as a lay person, you can't figure out what it is, but it's those little technical details. And as a designer, you may notice, but as a, another person, it's, it's hard to put your finger on. And I think it's bringing in all those layers. Um, but to your point about the technology, I feel like we need to have systems that really integrate together, whether it's, you know, with the AV, with the motorized shades. I can't tell you how many times I get to a construction site where my drapery guy, his interface isn't working for my motorized shades with the AV, and it becomes so bungled. And I wish that there was a more simplistic way of, of dealing with it. That being said, it's so out of my wheelhouse that I just usually defer to you know, the experts on that. I just, I just can tell you, I want my shades motorized. I don't care how it happens. <laughs> so I get that. I totally get that. Years ago, um, if you would have said to a designer, you know, I'd like to know, and I'm talking decades ago, you know, I'd like to know about European design. They would say, no, let's go to the department store. I mean, look, this is how design started, right? <clears throat> Where you would have you'd have sellers, you'd have designers, the designers worked for the department stores and then clients would come into the department store and the designer would tell you all the things that you wanted to buy for your home and what went with what and what didn't go. And as design evolved, I feel like the designer evolved. Designers today, you know, the work you're doing and the things that you're doing in design are so vastly different from what the industry looked like 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. I just, and having subs is fantastic, but the flip side of that is try to get on a painter's schedule these days. Now, designers are not going to be the one to pick up a brush and start painting. At the same time, it's every trade. I've never seen anything like this, but it's every trade. 
It's, it's so difficult and you really just have to like massage all your vendors because um, you, you just need to be in everybody's good graces so that you can stay VIP in terms of if you have a special request or you have an emergency. And then, and then when you don't, when you have something that's pushed back, you call them and say, I don't need it now. Don't rush, put someone else ahead of me. I'll call in my favor when I need to. I mean, I feel like people need to be respectful of that as well. Um, I'm never looking for any vendor to put out an emergency that I created just because I planned poorly for something. I just, I just don't do that. Um, but I think to your point, the greatest thing about, you know, design, if you can be on the new construction side, is that you have time to come up with all these ideas and implement versus, you know, there have been times where people have have said, oh, I want you to come over. My project's starting next week, and I need you to just make sure that all these finishes and everything are going to work. Well, that's not going to work. It's, it's too late for that. But if you have a lot of time to put the thought into how everything's going to go, whether it's the lighting designer and the landscaper and all of that, then I think things come together in, a, in, in the way that it, the clients intended their vision. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, but I, I think it's really interesting. We're, we're watching the industry change in real time, and it's, it's fascinating. Roz, this was so great. I really appreciate the time today. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It was so much fun, and um, good luck in Tulsa. I, I, I love it up there. One of my good um, friends from college uh, got married up there, and it's so beautiful, and I love Oklahoma. Awesome. Thank you. Come visit. <laughs> We are living at a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors, to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community, so you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Roz. I loved our time together, loved our chat, love your work, and I appreciate it very much. I th thank you for doing this. And thank you for listening to the podcast, subscribing to the show, and for sending in your emails. It's, it's a joy for me to hear your stories and get suggestions of designers and architects that you'd like to, to see on here on the show. It's summer in 2022, and travel is in full swing. And you are going to be hearing episodes of the show from New York, Texas, and LA. Hearing episodes from design events, which how great are we to be getting back to those? You're also going to be hearing episodes of the show featuring work done on the 2022 Remote Design House Tulsa, a project that I am so ex extremely proud of and 
I just can't wait to share it with you. So that's coming too. And thanks again for taking part of your busy day to spend with me as you're hiking, driving, traveling, whatever it is you're doing. Thank you for taking me with you. And the most wonderful designers and architects in the world. Um, I love sharing these stories with you. Until next week, be well and take today first. (laughs) 